This is Reason for Hope, and my name is Mario Costabile, and I am the executive director here at Array of Hope. So those of you that don't know who Array of Hope is, we produce concerts, music, events, television, and social media content. So this is yet another way that we can kind of share some hope and our faith together during your day. You know, there's some confusion about our faith and some misunderstandings really about the Catholic Church, and we just want to offer some clarity to help you grow closer to who God is. I mean, who is God anyway? He is the creator of the universe, right? So we want to better understand who this creator is and what his plan is for each and every one of us. We're going to have some really fun moments. We have some special guests. We have some surprise guests. We have a man in the street segment, which will really lead us to some very interesting conversations. And today's guest, which I'm very pumped about, is this great guy, Scott Hahn. He's an amazing theologian. I mean, he is a book of knowledge, and I'm excited to have him as our first guest. So we're also going to discuss God's plan for life, love, marriage, sex, and the family in view of our patron saint, St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. And joining us will be our Director of Theology here at Array of Hope, Dr. David Heideck. You know, with our faith, true joy and happiness is truly possible. As Christians, the bottom line is our goal is ultimately to get to heaven. So no matter what we endure here on earth, there's always a reason for hope. Fifth Avenue between 50th and 51st, uh, right in front of St. Patrick's Cathedral. Excuse me, ladies. Um, I'm conducting a survey, and I noticed that you guys came out of the church. Are you Catholic? No. You Catholic? Okay. Out of you three, you're Catholic? I was raised Catholic. I haven't been to church probably in two years. What is your thought of the sacraments? Do you think they're real? Do you believe in the power that they offer? I think I do because it's been ingrained in me. Um, Can you name the seven sacraments? Probably not. Can you name one that's most important to you? Um, Isn't marriage a sacrament? Yes, it is. I believe in the sanctity of marriage. Do you guys believe in God and the importance of God? We do. We're devout Catholics. Wonderful. What do the sacraments mean to you? What do you mean? What are you? I just want to know your your impression of the sacraments? Um, I don't have any answer for that. Uh, well, I'll give you an example. Some people don't believe in the sacraments or the power that they offer. For example, the Eucharist. Some people don't believe that the Eucharist is the body and blood and divinity of Christ, right? What are your thoughts about that? On their views? On, on your view? On my view? On their view? Mamma mia. Well, excuse me. Do you believe in the sacrament of the Eucharist? Yeah, I do believe in that. So you believe that it's not just a piece of bread, you believe it's Jesus Christ? Well, it's what we're raised to believe, so. Is there one sacrament in particular that you think is really important to you? Well, you know, there is something about going up and getting communion, I think, and um, as much as I hate confession, I think it helps you to feel cleansed. Oh, this guy looks like Tim Tebow. Hey. Man in the street. Do you look like Tim Tebow? Anyone ever tell you that? Before, yeah. So what about the importance of the sacraments? I mean, I can't really answer that one. I haven't been to church in quite a while, so. As far as the baptism, our, our son's been baptized in the whole nine, so 
Excuse me, do you have a, a minute? I can ask you some questions? Yeah, but we're from Brazil. Do you speak English? You speak English, right? I don't speak English. I don't speak English. You don't speak English, but you're speaking English now. Yes. yes. <laughs> okay, I get it. Is there one sacrament in particular that you think is the most important sacrament for you? The communion. The, the Eucharist, the communion. For sure, for sure. Jesus, I think, is the most important thing for us. Okay, thank you. How do you say goodbye in Portuguese? Oh, ciao. It's like Italian. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Ciao, 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 ciao. I knew I was multilingual. Uh, very little English I speak, but I uh, speak a little Italian. And now I speak a very, very poquito bit of Portuguese. Excuse me, can I ask you a question? Uh, no, thank you. He didn't want to talk to me. I think he was intimidated by my uh, fancy shoes that I'm wearing. Hey, you want to talk to me? Do you believe in God or? Of course I do. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Right on. Is there a sacrament in particular that you believe in that you really feel are, is important? God, they're all important. I suppose the sacrament of penance is the most important one. Confession. Right on. We've got to get ourselves straight. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about the sacrament of the Eucharist? Yeah, up there in the top two. Do you believe in the real presence of Christ within the Eucharist? Sure I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's wonderful. Um, Substantiation, I think they call it. Irish guys, you guys got it down. Oh, some of us. <laughs> Great. So I've talked to so many people here today in many different languages. So how would you say goodbye in... Irish. Yeah. Slánlath. Sl goodbye. S say? Slánlath. Slánlath. Yeah, okay. Bye to you. Great. Slánlath, my good yeah. man. Good to meet you. God bless you. God bless you too. All right. All right. Okay, man. Now I speak Irish as well. So here we are at the section of our podcast where we're going to be unpacking the teachings of our faith, especially on God's plan for life and love, in light of the powerful insights of St. John Paul II, who happens to be our patron saint here at Array of Hope. Dr. David Heideck, a St. John Paul II scholar, is our director of theology here at Array of Hope, and he's going to be sharing with us each week his thoughts and insights about these teachings. Hey, Dave, I am super excited that you're here with us every week and part of the Array of Hope team. Oh, great to be here. So today we're going to talk about what it means to live a sacramental life. Specifically, we're going to try to grasp better the reality and power of the sacraments. And this is important to me only because I feel that um, we're, in a, uh, we're in a space uh, in our culture where we don't value the sacraments like we once did. Uh, there's a lack of appreciation or an understanding of the power of the sacraments. And I think we're in a, a crisis point of the sacraments within our church. Um, so we want to talk about that today. And uh, Dave, what are your thoughts on uh, the sacraments and what they mean and where we're at? Okay. Well, I think that first, people's lack of appreciation for the sacraments may be related to a lack of a sense of the sacramentality of the universe. We live in a world that is very scientifically minded. So we're only looking at what things are on the surface. One of the pitfalls of the rationalistic mindset is that we can get stuck in only considering something real if you can put it under a microscope, you know. We have a hard time seeing through things to a deeper meaning. 
Uh, Fulton Sheen once said that in order to understand the sacraments, you have to have a divine sense of humor. A sense of humor involves being able to see beyond the actual words to what is funny about those words. But I think that this is a general difficulty. So how do people even see the world? Do they look out at the world as making visible the invisible God? Do they see in the sunset God's warmth and love? Do they see in a storm his power? Do they experience in a sleeping child God's gentleness? Do they learn to see his beauty in the colors of the flowers of the field? Now, the things in nature aren't God. We're not pantheists, but they reveal something about God, as any work of art reveals something of the personality of the artist. And John Paul II in The Theology of the Body says that this is a wider and perhaps an older, even more fundamental meaning of the term sacrament. And in addition to that, I mean, do we see God especially in human beings, the only creature made in God's image and likeness? The human body is kind of like a sacrament. Why? Because it makes visible a person who's made in God's image. You know, in the Theology of the Body, John Paul II wrote, The body and it alone is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine. It was created to transfer into the visible reality of the world the invisible mystery hidden in God from time immemorial and thus be a sign of it. So the human body is sacramental in the sense that it makes visible the person who is created in the image and likeness of God. Do we recognize that in the people that we meet each day? Do we recognize that in ourselves? And so if we don't start there with this idea of a sacramental life, meaning all of life is sacramental, God is reaching out and revealing himself through all that he has made, then I think we're going to really miss this appreciation for the seven sacraments. Mm-hmm. Well, Dave, let, let's talk about those, okay? Um, first, what is a sacrament? And can you unpack the definition for us? So a sacrament, traditionally defined, is a visible sign instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church through which divine life is dispensed to us. Sometimes that's shortened up to um, an efficacious sign of grace. So that's a lot. But what does that mean? Uh, first, you have to look at sign. What is a sign? A sign points to something. That's what a sign does. So let's say if you had a danger sign, it points to the fact that there's danger. Now, the sign with regards to normal signs isn't itself the danger. It merely points to the danger. The sacraments of signs are different. They're efficacious signs, meaning they actually make the reality present. When the priest says the words of consecration, for example, this is my body, this is my blood, over the bread and wine, the bread and wine actually become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. It doesn't just point to Jesus's presence or symbolize Jesus's presence. It is his real presence in the Eucharist. When 
the priest or deacon pours the holy water on a person's head and utters the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, through the water, original sin is really washed away from that person's soul. And they're born again by water and the Spirit as a child of God. And so that's, I think, a really key component to the sacraments, this idea of this visible sign that is efficacious. So the next part is instituted by Christ. The sacraments were established by Jesus as gifts for the church, as special means of grace for the church. He instituted the sacrament of the Eucharist, for example, at the Last Supper. So there's these moments in Christ's time on earth when he established the sacraments, these special signs as vehicles through which he would dispense his power and his life and love to us. I think this is really important, Dave, because there's a lot of misunderstanding that, you know, where do these sacraments come from? I think it's really important that people recognize that Jesus did this for a reason. And then you'd mentioned also that, you know, it, it gives us grace. Maybe we could talk about grace because sometimes people don't understand, well, okay, the sacraments give us grace, but then what's grace, right? right? And I always, uh, I, I always share with people that, you know, grace is a supernatural ability that you can accomplish something above and beyond what you might not ordinarily do yourself. Right. Right. It's so the traditional formulation is that grace builds on nature. So that doesn't mean that nature can't do anything, mm -hmm. but it can't do everything. And sometimes I'll hear this about the church's teaching on marriage. And they'll say, well, oh, that, that indissolubility thing, that's too hard. You know, by the way, that's an old argument. The apostles said that to Jesus. They said, Lord, if this is the case for a man and his wife, it's better not to marry. They got it. He was asking something that they thought was impossible. Mm -hmm. And Jesus answers them and says, yes, for man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That might be a very difficult thing for a human being to do on his or her own power. But God gives the grace to do it. So he can command it because he gives the power to do it, you see, or, uh, or openness to life uh, or periodic continence if you have serious or just reasons to avoid pregnancy. You know, that this is the kind of thing that many people might experience as just being way too demanding to live in a right. human capacity. Well, guess what? You're not just living it in a human capacity. If you were to say, gee, that's too hard, Dave, I'd say, you're right. It is too hard. Right? It is too hard. But not with God. Right. Not with God. Yeah. And so that's the promise of the sacraments. Right? That's the promise of the sacraments. And that's just a little bit more on marriage. But we have to see, I think it's a good one because it helps us to see that, that Sometimes what we're called to is so clearly beyond what we're capable of by our own nature alone. And Jesus didn't come to tell us to just try harder. Jesus came to, to give us the grace to live the way he was calling us to live. And that's why I think another important way of understanding grace, you brought up this idea of the supernatural ability. I love that. Uh, that the, through the sacraments, divine life is dispensed to us. I think that's so key because really what grace is, is us sharing in God's own life and love. It's him sharing his strength, his power, his virtue, his love with us. I'm no longer just loving on my own power. Mm -hmm. I have God's power within me to love with. And when I'm weak, he's strong. And then he gets the glory because he's the one who is 
manifesting his own power, his own love, his own righteousness in me. Yeah. Um, you know, lastly, I just want to talk about the sacrament of marriage. I think, um, well, I know, I mean, there, that marriage in itself is suffering in our culture. There are so many couples that are um, divided, separated, and um, lack the strength to, to go forward and continue when, when it becomes difficult. And, um, you know, I've said this once before. I said it a couple of times in various talks. You know, Jesus created the sacraments. And if I were to say to someone, hey, do the sacraments fail? No, Jesus created them, right? I mean, if you think about, let's say, you know, the sacrament of baptism, right? Does that fail? No. I mean, does it not work when someone is baptized? I mean, the priest consecrating the Eucharist at Mass, would, would that ever not work? Yet, we accept or even expect the sacrament of marriage to fail, which logically doesn't make any sense, right? So my point is that we've given up on that sacrament. If couples uh, that are having difficulty would recognize and invoke the power of Jesus, the power of that grace within their sacrament, I think we probably would have less separations, less divorce. And I think... Um, we need to recognize that. The church needs to recognize that. You know, it's interesting. In the Theology of the Body, St. John Paul II calls marriage the primordial sacrament. What he means by that is when God created human beings in the beginning, he created them male and female, and he blessed them with the blessing of fruitfulness. So while the man and the woman were each created in the image and likeness of God, they, in a sense, more perfectly image God as a communion of persons, because God is a communion of persons that we call Trinity. So, in the beginning, the first human couple was the image and likeness of God in the world. They were the visible sign of the invisible God in the world. Now, we know that in the New Covenant, that husbands and wives are called to be a sign of of Christ's own love for the church, that when people look at them, they're supposed to see how Jesus loves the church. And while it's clear that husbands and wives are imperfect, nevertheless, Christ's love for the church is the standard that informs what marriage is supposed to be. I think, therefore, one of the most important things that the church can do is speak a message of hope. The message of hope is not, you can't do it. It's not, oh, that's too difficult for you. The message of hope is, with God, all things are possible. So trust in him. And then what you wind up hearing more is, here are the various means of grace that are available to you so that you can live all that God has called you to live. God has called spouses, Christian spouses, to live the same love that he has for the church. Yeah. That's way beyond human capacity. But with God's grace, we can do it. But I think we need to get away from this idea of like futility or defeatism. We need to believe that this is something, first of all, worth it. And then secondly, that, that we should hope in what God has promised, that he's not going to fail us, that he's going to give us what we need, even if it's difficult, even if it means a cross for us, that he's going to, through that cross, bring new life. Mm -hmm. 
So Dave, this was awesome. I, you know, I, I so strongly believe that the sacraments are really the root to ultimate joy if we would embrace them. And uh, I love your deep uh, dives and perceptions into what they mean and, and where they came from. I think uh, the more we can develop our intellect, the more we understand, the more it feeds our soul. Uh, thanks again. Oh, great to be here. So I got this great idea regarding our theme today of the sacraments to call a woman. Her name is Donna Marie O'Boyle. She's actually a well-known Catholic speaker, a very famous Catholic author. Uh, she's written books on Fatima, Sister Faustina, Motherhood, Our Lady, The Domestic Church, and she's a regular on EWTN. So she would be perfect uh, to surprise and call and see how she's doing and uh, let her know uh, about this podcast. One ringy dingy. Two ringy dingy. Hi, Mario. Hey, Donna. How are you? Oh, pretty good, thank you. Really crazy, crazy busy with um, the book writing. You're a writing maniac. I know, I know. God made me a writing <laughs> maniac. So listen, um, one of our initiatives, one of our new ideas is that we're doing a podcast every week. I'm recording right now, and I want you to be part of my podcast. Are you up for this? I have some questions for you. What do you mean you're recording right now? Right this second? <laughs> right this, this very second as we're speaking. Are you ready to go? I guess I'm all set by the grace of God. Awesome, awesome. So many people have issues and questions about the sacraments. So I wanted to know uh, your position on, you know, why are the sacraments important to you uh, mm -hmm. and, and why uh, they're an integral part of your life? Because I know you a little bit personally, and I, I know that that's a, that's a key part in, in, in who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. Well, Jesus instituted the sacraments, so I know all the sacraments are good and necessary, you know, and as a Catholic um, and as a mother and a grandmother, too, they're so important in my life because not only do I need them for myself, uh, I need to pass them on to my children and to my grandchildren. So it's such a part of our lives. It's really at the heart of our, our faith. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I want to ask you one more question. So I think one of the reasons that our culture, at least today, or many Catholics really feel the, uh, a lack of the importance of the sacraments is that they really don't believe or have a lack of understanding of the grace that they deliver. I mean, there's a reason why Jesus gave us the sacraments and they're packed with supernatural empowerment ability. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe you can address that or maybe you have a story where you felt his grace during a period of time, knowing directly that it was a result of receiving the sacraments. Well, first of all, I want to agree with you that people don't realize the, um, the grace that the sacraments contain and that it kind of burst forth in our hearts and souls. A lot of times I find that beautiful grace after receiving Holy Communion or visiting the uh, Sacrament of Confession. I try to go every first Saturday. No matter what I have to offer there in the confessional, it's always such a powerful sacrament. And the grace that God gives us through that sacrament helps us to grow in holiness, to have everything we need to resist temptation, whatever it is. You know, we receive so much grace and, and Holy Communion, you know, receiving our Lord Jesus is so amazing. We can't even fathom 
that mystery, that great mystery, that great love that Jesus gives to us by, you know, giving himself to us in that piece of bread and that drop of wine. We can't even imagine the intensity of the grace, but many times I've really felt that grace powerfully um, after receiving, you know, tears will well up in my eyes or I'll just really feel the grace and our Lord, you know, speaking to my heart. There'll be other times when you, you don't we're not going to always feel things, Mario, right? We're, we're not going to feel the graces. And I want people to know not to be looking for this warm, fuzzy thing. But God's graces are so powerful, we don't even realize, you know, how they're working in our hearts and souls. So we need to call upon the graces. We need to ask our dear Blessed Mother. We need to ask Jesus and to really partake in the sacraments, especially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. confession and communion. Yeah, right on. Uh, and, and sometimes God does give us a gift. You know, sometimes uh, the grace itself is recognizing that we're receiving that grace. I know that it happens in my life sometimes where I, I'll say something or something will happen and say, oh, my goodness. I'm receiving his grace right now because yes. there's no way it would have happened without him. So exactly. uh, so listen, Donna, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for calling. It was wonderful sharing just out of the blue like this. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's the idea. Spontaneity. Just shoot from I the I love hip. it. I love it. God bless your endeavor and all that you do, Mario. All right. Peace. God bless. I cannot express how excited I am to have our first guest here on this podcast, Dr. Scott Hahn. Now, Scott Hahn is an American Roman Catholic theologian, a former Presbyterian who converted to Catholicism. He is an author who has written many books on Catholicism. Scott speaks all around the world and teaches at the Franciscan University of Steubenville, which is in Ohio. He is also the founder of St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. Scott's books were extremely instrumental in my formation to better understand the teachings of the Catholic Church. Here's Dr. Scott Hahn. So tell me a little bit about, you know, your story, your childhood. Tell me. Sure. Well, a lot of it is in our book, Rome's Sweet Home, Our Journey to Catholicism, which has been out now about 25 years and a bunch of languages, 30 or 40. Um, my childhood was sort of like an average, suburban, nominal, Protestant, you know, Christmas and Easter. And they might drop us off at Sunday school, but we would, you know, play hooky. Um, and so I ended up in a lot of trouble for about two and a half years or so. Uh, 13 and 14 years for me were really rough. Spent a lot of time in the Allegheny County juvenile court system. <laughs> Shoplifting, sales and possession, burglary, mail fraud, forgery, etc. Typical teenager. Yeah. Well, I, I fortunately got caught on almost everything, wow. you know, which turned out to be a mercy because, you know, I, I went to a retreat. You know, not to find Christ, but to connect with Kathy. That never happened. But our Lord kind of showed me I needed him. He gave his life for me. The least I could do is return the favor. And when I heard the gospel at that point in my life, Jesus paid a debt he didn't know because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. I just thought, well, that would be me and the cops would back me. And so I gave my life to Christ. And uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the process, I began to get formation in Scripture but it was very typically evangelical, so it was anti-Catholic. And so for the next several years, high school, going through the Bible, going to Bible studies, I think I read it two and a half times in those years of high school, going off to college, getting to study Greek so I could read it in the original language, studying philosophy too, falling in love with Kimberly, right after graduation, matrimony, off to seminary. You know, and at that point, seminary was decisive for me 
You know, for three reasons. First, because I got to study Hebrew so I could read the Old Testament. Second, because I began to understand the centrality of the covenant. Old covenant, new covenant. And I began to realize, third, that a covenant is not a contract, but a family. And if you just make that tiny adjustment, whoa, stand back and watch all of these things fall into place. God is a father, the church is a family, and then the angels, saints, and the Blessed Virgin all form that family. That's what happened over the next three to five years. So after graduation came ordination. I was a Presbyterian minister. For less than two years, I was pastoring a church that was expanding rapidly. But I was finding all kinds of questions that they couldn't, my tradition couldn't answer. And so I went in search of a church that had the answers. And things just kept coming up Catholic. And the guys who went to school with me would have been saying, he is the least likely to convert because back then nobody converted. I mean, any more than you had people in America defecting to the Soviet Union. They were coming to us, you know, Catholics were. But at this point in my life, I, I just saw the Eucharist as the fulfillment of the Passover. The new is the fulfillment of the old. And God is fathering a family that is international, universal, in other words, Catholic. Mm -hmm. And so I, I resigned, uh, committed professional suicide by entering the church back at the Easter Vigil of 86. And I look back on all of that and realize that, you know, at one level, God had me where he had Saul, the Pharisee. Mm -hmm. He wasn't just not a Christian. He was an anti-Christian. Because if Jesus isn't the Messiah, he's a pretender. And he should pay and his followers should mm -hmm. too. If the Eucharist isn't God, if it's just a wafer, Catholics aren't like the Methodists, a little off. They're really off. Right. But if it is Christ, I'm toast. I got to change, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's what happened. You know, I read uh, Rome Sweet Home, and it was part of my reversion back to the Catholic oh, faith. Uh, so uh, you were very much part of me searching and, and trying to understand the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. trying to understand who God is. Uh, but I, I love the story where you were sneaking out and going to Mass during the day oh, yeah. uh, in the book, and um, you sort of saw the Eucharist, and you, it was at that moment where it kind of snapped for you that, you know, Lord, oh Lord, that's you. Maybe you can just articulate that a little bit, what that felt yeah. like when it, I mean, it, that sort of was your epiphany, right? It's sort it of like, really was. it was like you saw the Eucharist and you, at that moment, God poured grace into your heart, right? And said, I'm real. Maybe you can just articulate that a little okay, bit. Okay, so I am in a doctoral program. I'm attending a doctoral seminar. We're studying the ancient church's liturgy. Justin Martyr in the second century, whoa. You know, there's so much there that we don't have in our Protestant heritage. I wonder if any residue might still be left in the Catholic Mass. I'd never gone to Mass. I never wanted to. My grandmother uh, was a devout Catholic when she died, and I wouldn't even attend the funeral Mass because what we were taught about the Mass was that it was sacrilege. So and at one level, it was the last place I wanted to go. But another level, curiosity, you know. And so when I found out that there was a noon mass in a basement chapel right on campus, I thought, that's a safe space, you know. Mm -hmm. Who's going to spot me? And so I went with a Bible and a notebook, just, you know, sitting in the back like a journalist, jotting observations, seeing what, if any, elements in this checklist that you have from Justin Martyr is still around, you know. Well, all of it was. It was a perfect match. And so with the opening rite, the penitential rite, the assurance of pardon, the lector getting up and reading from the Bible, and then the homily, it was just like, check, 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 check. And I'm like, okay, okay, there's a whole lot more than I expected. But the drama changed dramatically for me. I mean, it just, it became exciting and scary when I heard the, well, 
You move from the liturgy of the word to the liturgy of the Eucharist, and you're hearing the Eucharistic preface, the anaphora, whole phrases taken from the Jewish Passover liturgy, from the scriptures as well, but it's just like it was in the first, second, third, and fourth centuries. By the time the priest pronounced the words of consecration, you know, it was like a eureka moment. You know, all of the doubt just began draining out of my head and my heart, and I found myself in the back pew, sitting at the edge. I wasn't ready to kneel, but I knew it wasn't bread. And I'm like, my Lord and my God, that isn't bread. That is you. And by the time he consecrated the chalice, I, I found myself literally drooling with this holy thirst for his precious blood, trying to figure out what's going on inside of my head, what's going on in my heart. These thoughts and emotions were so weird and foreign. Mm. Then suddenly, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the people began to chant again, Lamb of God, and then a third time, Lamb of God. And by the time they dropped to their knees, I saw the priest elevate this consecrated host and say a fourth time, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was the real epiphany because suddenly I knew I wasn't just in a basement chapel for a weekday mass. I was in the back of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, which I had studied, which I had translated from the Greek an entire semester. But I, it never made any sense to me. Because, you know, we thought it was about the Antichrist, the second coming, you know, all of those elements. But when you translate it, you realize second coming doesn't occur. You know, Antichrist isn't found one time in the entire apocalypse. I gave up trying to figure it out. Then all of a sudden, Lamb of God, Lamb of I knew from years of study, he's called Lamb of God 28 times in 22 chapters. Nobody could ever explain why. But as the people are going forward to Holy Communion, I'm going back in my Bible, and there it is, Lamb of God, chapter 5, again and again and again. Then I see, holy, holy, holy. There's the Gloria. And it's like, wait a minute. It's more than just the second century list. As the people are kneeling, giving thanks, it's quiet. And as the priest gets up and pronounces the benediction and they all leave, I'm sitting there for about an hour. I haven't moved. I'm stunned. I'm like, I went downstairs to a basement chapel but I feel like I went up to the heavenly liturgy of the new Jerusalem because the songs, the prayers, the sacrifice of the lamb, it was a match. And so for the next two weeks, I just began secretly attending noon mass and just realizing, you know, I had fallen in love with our Lord in scripture. I just never expected to have my eyes open in the breaking of the Eucharistic bread like Clopas and his companion. But I found myself falling in love with him in a whole deeper way. And I finally told Kimberly, you know, and the rest, as they say, is the history, yeah. the story of Rome's sweet home. But I, I look back, and it was over 33 years ago. And yet, at the same time, it feels almost like it was 30 days. Mm. You know, it just doesn't seem like it was very long because it's still quite, you know, it, it, it's still quite uh, unforgettable. It was for me. I mean, that was sort of like, you know, up until that moment for you, it was very intellectual, right? That's exactly right. And then all of a sudden, it was a transformative moment for you, which it was for me reading it because wow. at that moment, I recognized that the sacraments are real. And I think our culture today has really forgotten the power of the sacraments, confession, recon you know, reconciliation, the Eucharist, um, all these things that... Um, you know, with the uh, ongoings of the church, people are leaving the church in drones, right? You know, because they're unhappy with what's going on, but they have forgotten that Jesus instituted the sacraments. That's right. So, you know, maybe you can address that a little bit, the importance of the sacraments and, and why that's what we need to go back for. I mean, they give us that supernatural ability, that supernatural, the grace, right? Jesus instituted the sacraments, but what 
Scripture taught me and what the Catechism teaches all of us is that Jesus is also the one who administers the sacrament. You know, I've got two sons in the seminary studying for the Diocese of Steubenville. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm really excited. Congratulations. One's, one of them, Jeremiah, is less than a year from diaconal ordination. Wow. And it's kind of exciting. The three oldest kids, uh, we've got six kids. The three oldest have given us 18 grandkids. The next two are in the seminary studying for the diocesan priesthood. You're very but, blessed. Yeah, we're very grateful and uh, much more than I deserve, to be sure. But as I think about that, you know, and I think about my own son becoming a father in the family of God. It's so significant that when we go to Mass, the priest doesn't say, this is your body. And he doesn't look out and say, this is his body. He says, this is my body. Because he's not just you know, lending his lips to our Lord for a few minutes. He's given his entire life to Christ so that he is in persona Christi. Mm -hmm. Christ himself is speaking through him. Christ himself is the high priest in heaven that I discovered in the Apocalypse, as well as the book of Hebrews, he is the high priest in heaven using these earthly priests who are mortal men, but he is the one who overcomes their weaknesses. He makes up for all that they lack. He gives them all that they need, and they give us Christ. And so the sacraments are easily misunderstood as rituals that we perform for God to kind of please him and then maybe get him to do what we want, when in fact the sacraments are primarily what God does for us as a father, giving his kids what they need, making up for all that we lack, and empowering us to recognize that his will is superior to ours and that he actually enables us to will his will more than our own passions or whatever disordered appetites we might have. And to me, the sacraments are the treasure. The Eucharist, the blessed sacrament, to be sure, you know, but even the notion of sacramentum as a Latin term is translated as covenant oath. And for anybody like me steeped in scripture, you go back to the Old Testament and you see a series of covenants with Adam and his wife, the marital covenant with Abraham, you know, and, and others too. But you don't ever have a covenant if all you have is a promise. An exchange of promises adds up to a contract. This is yours, that is mine. But in a covenant, I am yours and you are mine. Mm -hmm. And what makes all the difference is the oath. You invoke the holy name of God. You don't just sign your name to a piece of paper. You invoke God's name. And that oath is a sacramentum. And when I studied Hebrew, I was kind of struck by the fact that the Hebrew word to swear a covenant oath is literally shava, to seven yourself. Mm -hmm. So when I discovered that the Catholic Church doesn't have two sacraments like Protestants, they've got seven. It's like, okay, time to revisit this count here. You know, you know it, it isn't just a kind of accident or coincidence. There's a new covenant that is still new 2,000 years later because Christ is in heaven administering seven sacraments, doing for us what we could never do for ourselves or for our loved ones. Amen. So I hope this podcast has been fun, enjoyable, and informative for you. If you want to learn more about Array of Hope, you can go to arrayofhope, A-R-R-A-Y of hope.net. There you could find out how you could bring Array of Hope to your parish through the Array of Hope concert or even the Array of Hope retreats. Also join us on social media where we release daily reflections, all kinds of videos, videos on the saints, and lots of fun music. Our handles are Array of Hope on Facebook, Array of Hope Show on Twitter and Instagram, and we also have hundreds of videos on YouTube. So I want to thank you for joining us on our podcast, Reason for Hope. 
Also, if you have any questions about the teachings of the Catholic Church, concerns about our church or our faith, or anything that we might have discussed on this podcast, you can email us at podcast at arrayofhope.net. And Dr. David Heideck will respond to you on our next podcast with an answer to your question. So next week's guest will be Dr. Scott Hahn, part two. Uh, So we're going to continue from our interview with him. And our theme will be on the new evangelization. This is going to be a great episode as well. So remember, gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. For if we look through the lens of surprise, or if we are unworthy to receive the gifts that we do have, that alone will give us an appreciation for what we have. Gratitude really puts things in perspective. I believe it makes us love more, better, and deeper. It puts a focus on things that are truly important. As it states in scripture, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. This is Mario Costabile from Array of Hope. Until next week, may God bless you and your family. Peace. Cause hope can